Thank you, Chris and Sarah. Good to hear your voices this morning singing. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 39. If you want to turn there in your copy of God's Word. I've had a, uh, a little bit of a chaotic past few days, and maybe you have. Maybe you hadn't, but I want to pray before we dive in that we are able to just, for the next little while, focus and hear from Jesus, if that's okay with you. Will you bow with me? Father, we come to you this morning, and all of us have probably been spread thin in some different ways this past week and we may have walked in this place and the last thing on our mind is is meeting with you our mind is is chaotic with other things going on in our world and we repent from that and we ask for your help to be able to slow our minds down and just be able to focus enough to hear from you and experience you together today. And I pray that as we experience you together today, it would overflow in our individual walks with you tomorrow and the rest of the week. We need you. And our world needs to see people clinging to you. In good times and bad times and chaotic times and weird times. We confess and believe with all that we are that you are on your throne. That you are over all. And you are always right. And anywhere we don't align... We are not justified. We are completely wrong. Would you reveal where we need to take steps? Would you encourage where we are taking steps? Would you show us where we are lacking? It's all about you. And we pray these things in the name of the idol-smashing, sea-parting, cloud-riding king, Jesus. Amen. So, for the past few years... We have done a prayer emphasis, actually for the past two years we've done a prayer emphasis that we've called Resurrection, whatever year it was. So the first year it was Resurrection 2020, last year Resurrection 2021, this year it's just R22, we left the 20 off, Um, but R22, we're going to do it again this year. 
it's going to be a little different um, than it has been in the past. Last year, we opened it up for any church to participate in any way, um, get some of our cards and, and pray over them and send them out. And we did it over several counties around us. This year, we're, we're backing back into Cross County. And we are going to do this as the Bridge Church. Now, other people can participate if they would like to, if they want to pray over some cards. But they probably should understand that the card already has an invite to this church. So if you go to another church, that might be a little weird that you're inviting them to somebody else's church, but um, they can do that if they want to. But if you're, if you're not familiar with this, if you just recently became part of the bridge, we go to this, this website and we collect the address and names for every home in Cross County. And we take a group of cards like this and we put them in a packet like this. And they are already pre-labeled and pre-stamped cards. And we ask people if they take a packet, packet to take a card a day, pray over the name, the home on the front of that card, write some kind of note. This year we're inviting them to our Easter gatherings. Um, we're going to have one gathering on Good Friday at 6 It'll be different than our Easter Sunday gatherings, but we're going to have two services, two gatherings on Easter Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 to kind of offset. We had a huge crowd in here last year. We're, we're trying to offset a little bit of the crowd, maybe spread out a little bit. But all that information is on this side. It's an invite to our Good Friday gathering and then our Easter gatherings already printed on there. So you don't have to worry about that. But when you, when you pray over that card, you, you write some kind of a note to these people and you drop it in the mail. Say, maybe I prayed for you today, join us for Easter, whatever you want to write. So in the past we've done 20 homes over 20 days. But this year we're going to do 40 homes over 40 days. We're extending it to 40 days of prayer. Uh, that's, that's a lot, but it's really not. You know, we, we need to pray every day, so uh, 40 days is okay. Also this year, within the 40 days, we have five fast days. Uh, we're going to fast for five of those 40 days. Now, this is going to mess you up. I'm not a real big faster. You, that probably shocks you. Um, I haven't done it a lot. Um, I normally run fast to the kitchen for the next meal, but I don't fast a whole lot, but I want to I wanna learn. And there's, there's something about saying, God, I feel this hunger pain, but more than I want to fix that in me, I want to see you work in this person's life. I want to see you work in my community's life. There's something about that that God takes notice of. So we're going to start this on March the 1st, which is a Tuesday. March the 1st, we won't fast. 
But every Tuesday after that will be a fast day. We will fast on Tuesdays together as a congregation. Um, the devotions for that day will be written about fasting to help us, help us take some steps in that. And, and this, is, this is five days out of 40. It's not like this is major league, but it's a step for our church together to do this. I, I want us to grow in this. Can we do that? Can we take some steps in fasting together? Um, also in here, so you'll have 40 cards already stamped, labeled, that you will put in the mail every day, one card a day. There is, we are providing a pen. You don't, you don't need anything. We gave you a pen. It's a really high dollar pen. It is a dollar, but it's a high one. We are providing a reminder of hand sanitizer because it's 2022. And a devotional booklet that will have 40 devos for every day we are doing this together. <clears throat> this has been one of my favorite parts of the whole thing in the past. Every year we would ask our people to write devos and they start coming in and it, and the past two years I've read every one of them as they came in. And this year I committed to not do that because I wanted to read them with you. And I failed. I, they started coming in. I was like, I got to read this guy's. He's probably not. He's probably not that great. I'm kidding. Um, but you, you read them, and it's like, wow. God is at work in our people. And it's, it's a blessing to me to read how God is speaking to you individually, those who have written devos in the past, those that are writing devos this year. And, and sometimes I'm reading them and I'm like, man, who, who even is this? I didn't know that this person had this in them. I thought it would be like one little paragraph, but they're deep. You ever had that happen to you? Like you've, you've known somebody for a while and you think you know them and then they do something and you're like, who even is this? The disciples had an encounter like that at the end of Mark 4. They're in a boat and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee and this storm comes up and, and they're, they're in a group of several boats. The storm comes up and it's so bad that the scripture says the boats are falling apart and they're becoming swamped with water. And everybody, everybody is in a major panic. They're scared to death. Except for Jesus. Jesus is asleep. Isn't that great? Everybody else is panicking, scared. What's going to happen? Jesus is asleep. 
And then this happens, verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Do you see that? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Who even is this? This past week, Kirk and I had the honor of speaking on behalf of one of our people. He would sit over there in those blue chairs every Sunday, Mr. Riley Paul Ellis. And when we were, when we were talking to his family, preparing for his service on Wednesday, there was something that was said that stuck out to me. They said when Mr. Riley Paul married his wife, Barbara, he thought he knew Jesus. But when he met his wife and his wife's mother, he found out Jesus was bigger than he thought he was. Read that scripture, and it is shocking that the the disciples have been around Jesus all this time. They've seen him uh, heal people. They've seen him... Uh, cast out demons, they've seen him do all these powerful things and he does this thing and they say, who in the world is this? But sometimes, sometimes that's where worship takes us. Do you know that? As a matter of fact, If you are in this room or you're watching online and you think you know Jesus and Jesus is even a little dull and boring to you, you need to get back in his presence. Jesus is never dull. He's never boring. He always has a surprise up his sleeve. He keeps my heart rate in check and going, flowing, blood flowing all the time, scares me to death sometimes. I'm always nervous because I know he's walking me into situations that's bigger than me. But shockingly, he somehow comes through and pulls it off. Chapter 4 ends with a question. Chapter 5 begins with the answer to that question, but it's from a from an extremely surprising source. It kind of bothers me even a little. Who answers the question of the disciples? You need to remember that when this was originally recorded, there were no chapters and verses. Those things weren't in there. The author just wrote, so this story would have just flowed into the next story. There would not have been a break for chapter 5 or an end to chapter 4. It would have just been a continued story. And at the end of chapter 4, there is this Jesus calming the, the, the sea, calming the Sea of Galilee, The disciples ask a question and then 
With no break, chapter 5 starts. Read it with me. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. Jesus' best friends, in chapter 4, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? He's bigger than he thought he was. And at the, begin, the beginning of chapter 5, here comes a demon that runs, a demon-possessed man that runs up to the feet of Jesus and kneels down before him and says, What do you have to, have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Perfect. That's exactly who he is. The disciples ask a question and a demon answers it rightly. That troubled me at first when I was studying the scripture. How do the the disciples ask a question and the demon answers it right? How does that work? Um, But I think it's clear if you look close enough. I think there's some clarity The first thing that I I want us to see together this morning, continuing our our study about worship, the title today is Liberated Worship. The first thing I want us to see is demons are real, they are destructive, they know Jesus and in his presence they kneel and obey because they must not because they trust. I know demons is a weird subject. Um, you may have just got a little nervous when you heard that I was going to be talking about demons this morning. I'm a little nervous. Um, it's kind of weird, but it's, it's in the scripture. So we need to talk about it. There's two unhe- unhealthy ways that I see in our world how people approach the subject of demons one is I see a group of people that are consumed with it they're they're consumed with angels and demons that's what they want to talk about that's what they want to study that's what they want to see in God's word angels demons angels demons I want to know about angels I want to know about demons the scripture teaches about it but we're 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 limited in the scripture about this subject okay when, when the scripture limits its information on a subject, that's a sign that it's limited on its passion about the subject. We don't, we don't need to consume ourselves with things 
that the scripture doesn't just give us all the information about. If you, if you study all the scriptures on angels and demons, you're going to still walk away with words like maybe, probably, I don't know. You're not going to walk away with 100% accuracy of what that looks like. But there's another side to it. The other unhealthy thing is to act like they don't exist. Or that your soul, yes you, your soul is not in the middle of a war right now. Don't be consumed with it. But you better know it's real. You better know that there are unseen forces in our world that are after you, that hate your guts, that want you to die, and want to use you to help others die. This person that the scripture describes in Mark chapter 5 is an extreme encounter. You, you probably haven't seen a bunch of people in the graveyard chained up, screaming and hollering and cutting themselves. I hope you hadn't. You, you may not have ever seen anything like that in your life. I haven't. But in our world, the, de- the demonic is, is much more secret, more quiet. It's more subtle. That's what the demonic is right here where we are. This guy we're going to find out in a little bit had 2,000 demons in him. And that didn't happen in one second. That happened over a time frame of believing lie after lie after lie. The demonic in our world today is, is slipping in these little small lies in our ears. It's, it's exalting things that are important but not the main thing. It's, it's making us misplace our passions on things that are downstream of the main thing. It's, it's confusing our minds to think that when we're doing something, we're, we're doing it for the gospel, but not really. We're doing it to get our way. It, it exalts the things that will hurt us. It's, it's tiny whispers in our ear over time that finally get to us. And it's entirely probable that some of us in this room are listening to lies today. Believe in small lies in our world. I um, I see it a lot. 
and it's it's heartbreaking. People people will come to me and it's almost like they're completely blind to what's what's going on in them. It's like it's like they they have completely believed a lie from the enemy and it's it's walked them completely away from the Lord and blinded their eyes and you can't speak to them anymore. I see people believe that if if they leave their spouse, it's going to be better. And it's a lie. You know, you may be... Um, you may be watching somebody that is not a believer, men, and because they're not a believer, because they have not surrendered to Christ, they, they get all the women they want. It's a little awkward to say in church, but let's, let's be real. They're not a believer, they get, they get all the women they want. And here you are, stuck with a wife that will not even fill your tea glass when you rattle the ice at her. Now, I don't know what that's like. If my tea gets low, Beth apologizes. says, honey, I'm sorry, let me get that fixed up. Beth's not here today. And this, is, this message is for those that are. So I'll talk to her about that later. I don't want to embarrass her or anything. But you may be watching this guy that's getting all the women he wants, and you're stuck at home with this spouse and there may be marital problems going on and you may need help in your marriage but let me tell you what's really going on with the guy that you're exalting somebody's getting cut and somebody's getting hurt and somebody's dying And, and the only way that this man that you are watching get all the women he wants doesn't nuke himself and everybody around him is if he surrenders to the one that is calling out, peace be still, come out. Don't believe lies that that thing is better than God's thing. If you go down that road, you will get nuked. Now the man that's filled with a demon runs up to Jesus, and I've had to process this this week, and he kneels at his feet and he answers correctly about who Jesus is. He calls him exactly who he is. And I ask the question, now I don't want you to answer this with your heads nodding, I don't want you to answer it out loud because I don't want to embarrass you if you're wrong. But was the demon worshiping Jesus when he did that? 
That's, that's what I read. I, I, I saw that and I was like, was this, was this demon worshiping Jesus? Because that's weird if a demon's worshiping. I want to go back to the original definition of worship that we talked about in the first message. Uh, we're going to put that on the screen. Worship is the constant pouring out of all that I am in response to my chosen God or one who has chosen me, which always leads to a consistent change of who I am into its image or his image. Going by that definition, was the demon worshiping Jesus? No, he was confessing the truth of Jesus because he had to. And he was confessing the truth of Jesus to preserve himself. And, and when we do that, friend, we're, we're demonic. And do, I, I see this all the time. When, when it serves us to say Jesus is God, when it looks good on our, us and our situation to say Jesus is God, and we do it, but we're nuking everybody else around us, we're, we're hurting everybody else around us, we don't care about the relationships around us, that is demonic and it is not worship. If your worship is not sifting into who you are, if you're not looking more like Jesus daily and you're just acknowledging Jesus when it benefits you, don't confuse yourself. That is not worship. That is satanic. We worship Jesus not to benefit us, not so people look at us, not, not caring what anybody thinks of us. We worship Jesus because of who he is. We acknowledge that he is right and we surrender and we change to look more like him. That's real worship. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. Let's, let's back up to verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him, my name is Legion. He answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. When they began to, when they, then they began to beg him to leave their region. Second thing I want us to see is Jesus doesn't stay where he's not wanted. This is, this is really vital. 
for us to understand as individuals and especially as a, as a group, as a congregation, as a church. This, this man has this major league demon possession problem. He's, he's killing himself. Everybody in the world knows what's going on with this man. The whole city knows what's going on with him. Nothing can do, nobody can do anything about it until this King Jesus, who calmed the sea, comes in and calms the man. He says the word and the man's changed. The whole city has seen this man act the way he did. And then they come out and they see him healed. But they also see that 2,000 of their pigs are dead. That's a lot of food for them. And they respond to Jesus, and it's disappointing. They don't say, this Jesus can do what he wants. Let's keep him here and worship him here. Jesus, stay here and do whatever you want. They say, I'm, I'm scared of what he might do next. Leave. I'm scared of, of the next thing that he might do that might imp- impact my income. I'm scared of the next thing that he might do that might impact my family. Jesus, leave. Would it not be horrible to stand before the same Jesus one day and have to confess that I chose my pigs over people? We like to admit that Jesus, or we like to say Jesus is all I need. Jesus is all I need. Jesus is all I need. Is he? Because, friend, I promise you, this Jesus that we worship, when he liberates us, when he rescues us from slavery to our sin and to ourselves, he will put us in positions where we have to decide, do I want my possessions or do I want whatever he wants? And when we continue to say, man, I really like Jesus because he can do all these things that are awesome, but let's don't give him full control because if we give him full control, it might start to affect me. When when we continue to say that to him, he will leave. I've, I've seen it with churches before where where they are faced with this risk. You know, following Jesus is always risky. Following Jesus, there's there's always this chance that he's going to do something wild that's going to change you forever. And churches are faced with these risks at times, and they say, you know, it's probably smarter if if we don't do that. We better do what Jesus says every time. Jesus is always right. We do what he says every time. It may look weird. It may be risky. It may be risky for you as an individual. It may be a chance that you're taking. But if you keep saying no to him, he will leave. And it it horrifies me to think that we would come together on Sunday mornings and clean sidewalks and, and sing And Jesus not be here, because if that's what we ever do, it's a waste of time. 
it doesn't make a hill of beans, we might as well mow the ice on Sunday mornings. We can never say no to Jesus. We have to do exactly what he says every time. We have to want Jesus with us every time. We never say leave. We never, we never say no. We always do what he says. Last thing, and then we're done. Verses 18 through 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. I feel a little sorry for the guy. He's been cutting himself. He's been hurting himself. He's been breaking chains. He's been humiliating himself, screaming in the cemetery. Probably no clothes on, weird stuff. Jesus rescues him and Jesus is told to leave by the community and he, he goes to Jesus and he, he runs up and he says, Jesus, take me with you. And you expect Jesus to say, come on. But he doesn't. He says, no. You stay here. A lot's going on there. Number one, even though the people wanted Jesus gone, Jesus wanted those people that wanted him gone to know him. Can you believe that? Man, can you believe that? They're saying, go, get out, and Jesus does, but he tells this guy, you stay. Tell them, keep telling them. Maybe they'll get it one day. If I'm Jesus, I'm like, yeah, come on, I don't care about them. They want me out. If you've told Jesus no, he's still pursuing you. You wouldn't be here if he, if he weren't. But there's something else going on here. Also a connection about who we are as individuals. And who we need to be as a church. It's the last thing I want us to see. The only way to worship Jesus is to do his thing, his way, in his time, even if you don't understand. This guy couldn't have understood what Jesus wanted him to do, why he wanted him to do it. Jesus said, stay, go home, and tell them. And this is one of the only times there's not any response by the guy. He just says, okay. And he goes and does it. What, what does this mean for us? A lot of times, friends, we want to do something for God and, and he calls us to do this thing 
And, and we understand what he's telling us to do, but we want to do it our way. And then we want to baptize it by asking God to bless our way of doing his thing. This man could have gone with Jesus and told people in different places about Jesus, but Jesus said, stay here and you do it my way. And you have to believe that was blessed. If we want our individual lives and Jesus to be blessed, if we want our church to be blessed, we need to do what Jesus has already blessed in his word, the way he has said it. Marriage. We like to be married. If I asked you husbands... Do you love your wives? You'd say, sure, I love my wife. Do you love her like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? Because that's God's way. Wives, do you do you submit to your husbands? Oh, Man, I hate saying that. Maybe you hate that word. It's been misunderstood. It's been misused. I confess that. The church has used that in a wrong way. But this is God's design for marriage. This is is God's way to give a husband a role, to give a wife a role, and for them to serve one another, wash one another's feet, outdo one another in showing love. And this is what he says he has already blessed. You do it this way, you don't have to pray for God to bless it. It is blessed. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Now, you can try to do marriage your way and come to church on Sunday together every now and then and ask God to bless your marriage, and he may or may not in spite of you. But when the husband says, I will submit to God's way for me, and the wife says, I will submit to God's way for me, that is already blessed. Parenting. Parenting. God says for us to be parents, we we need to disciple our children. Dustin, that's hard. Dustin, that, that challenges me. You're dang right. It's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to challenge you. It's supposed to grow your faith as much as it grows your son or daughter's faith. And you can, you can put your kid in, in all, the, all the programs you want to and all the VBSs you want to and you can ask God to bless that and he may or may not. But when you disciple your own children, as he has said, that is already blessed. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? We can, we can ask God to bless our way of doing his thing or we can just submit to his way, which is already blessed for all time. Same way as a church. God said, go home and be a light. That was his way for this man, and he did, and it was blessed. 
sometimes as, as the people of God, we step into the role of liberator. Man, if we're creative enough, we'll reach all these people. If we're creative enough, if we do these cool new things, we'll reach all these people. But our role is not liberator. Our role is the liberated, serving the liberator. He will free the people. He will heal marriages. He will raise up leaders and kids. But we do it his way. That's what is successful. That's what's blessed. There's three things that I want us to take away from this message. Three applications. Uh, Let Jesus change you completely. Let Jesus command you completely. Let Jesus consume you completely. You may be, before, uh, before the man was healed, you may be that person right now that is doing your own thing, that is, that is believing the lies of the enemy, and, and your worship today would be to let Jesus change you completely. That's your application. You may have surrendered to Jesus, but you're, you're having a hard time obeying him. Your, your, your role is to let Jesus command you completely. Let him tell you exactly what to do in his word and do it. Apply it. Do what he says. You may need to let Jesus consume you completely. More than singing, more than music, this is worship for us. Liberated people worshiping our liberated, liberating king. In that story, one thing that stuck out to me is that Jesus said to go home which maybe that meant a community, maybe that meant a state, but you have to believe that that guy had a home. You know what I mean? That guy may have had a wife. He may have had some kids, and the kids might have gone to school And what they heard was, is that your dad out in the cemetery? There may uh, may have been a wife who had been on her face before King Jesus, before God the Father, God Almighty, every day saying, God, will you do something with my husband? And every day she would walk by and see him out in the cemetery Screaming, yelling, clothes off, cutting himself. Can you imagine what that was like when he went home? If we use our imagination a little bit, that's not in the scripture, but what if when, when, when Jesus said, go home, he thought in his mind, I can't wait to get to my house. 
I can't wait for my wife to see what this Jesus has done in my life. I can't wait for my kids to not be humiliated over the life that they see in their dad for the first time ever. I can't wait to go home. That had to resonate in his mind. And and can you imagine how that felt for, for potentially the wife and the kids to see a redeemed demoniac, husband and dad coming home? Did you know that whatever you do or do not do with King Jesus affects more than you? Did you know that? I don't care who you are. You say no to him over and over again. You say no to him over and over again. You say no to him over and over again. It affects the people around you. There's a lot of people that have to live with our disobedience and what Jesus calls us to do. And did you also know that when we say yes to him, there's always somebody on the other side of our yes. You say yes to Jesus the first time, there's somebody waiting on you to say yes. This morning, I don't know where you're at in the journey. We're fixing to take communion. Um, I'm going to pray. Are we, are we passing it out or are we picking it up? We're passing, we're passing it out. So you can just stay in your seat. But I want to ask you to allow Jesus to have his way, whatever that may be in your life today. I don't know where you are. He does. I don't, I don't know what you got going on. But he does. And after I pray, I'm going to step out in this front lobby. And if you need to visit with me, about surrendering to Jesus for the first time or if you've got some things going on that you need to confess and repent of or if you, if you need to understand things uh, that you have questions about I want to invite you to come visit with me in the lobby wherever that may be whatever that may be come see me I'm going to pray for us we're going to pass out the elements and then David's going to lead us Father, we come to you this morning and God, we know that we're lacking. And I pray that your word was heard today. We probably find us, ourselves somewhere landing in this story, whether it be in all of you like the disciples, running from you like the man, confessing you, although not surrendering to you like the demon, begging you to leave like the city 
All of us fall short. We need your help. I pray as we take your meal, we would understand that this is this is meaningful. This has deep meaning that your blood runs through our veins and your body was broken on our behalf so that we could be made whole. Father, I pray for those who need to surrender to you for the first time. I pray that if you have that for today, you would give them the courage to do that. Father, I pray for husbands or wives or children that are praying for their mom or dad or son or daughter to know you. Would you encourage them today? Encourage them to keep praying, keep pursuing, keep crying out to you. We love you. We're going to follow you no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that sermon, Brother Dustin. That was encouraging. I want to share a phrase that's in the scripture that's hard for me to pronounce. So I hate to kind of start off with something I can't pronounce, but there's a term in the scripture called handwriting of ordinances. It's just difficult for me to say, but imagine a piece of paper and uh, in a time when everything you've done wrong, the debts you owe to society, the debt you owe is written on that paper. And then not only is the debt written there, but the requirements of that debt is written there. And so it's everything you've ever done and uh, the penalties because of what you've done. And when that was paid for in certain times, that was nailed publicly to like a doorpost or a tree saying that uh, this is what has been done, but then this is the payment that has been made. And that was a public thing. That was a big deal. That was a good thing to have it paid for, and you want everybody to see that. Uh, we don't have to do anything to be a sinner. We're, we're born sinners. And the requirement, the payment of our sin is death. And uh, the scripture tells us that the wages of sin or the paycheck for sin uh, is death. But I'm so glad there's good news. The scripture also says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For just a second, and I'll be very brief this morning, think of the weight of sin that every person has committed. Uh, Think of the penalty of that, the handed down sentence of that, uh, the court's ruling. Uh, that's kind of what the handwriting of ordinances was. It was the list of sins and everything that had been done wrong and then the payment for all of that. And uh, the New Living Translation calls it the record of charges against us. Uh, But the verse that I want to share is Colossians 2.14. And this is what the scripture says. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. There's that word that's difficult to say blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us it was contrary to us this is what the scripture says he took it out of the way nailing it to his cross wow when you think about what the handwriting of ordinances meant it's our sin not only our sin but it's what is required to be paid for our sin it's everything we've done wrong it's us being born a sinner It's everything against us. 
customary was, was to nail that publicly so somebody could see it. And the scripture makes it plain even for guys like me to see. Jesus took that and he nailed it publicly to his cross. Wow, that's the only reason I can share the Lord's Supper with you today. Uh, Colossians, the same book I read from, says that we are now complete in him, and that's Christ Jesus, who's over everything, who is Lord over everything. He's the Lord over religion. And when we put our faith in Christ, that he has carried our sins to the cross, uh, then God begins to change us, and it's him that changes us. It's not really ourselves. And uh, I have found in my life that when I love on him less, uh, I tend to get further away from him, but when I love on him more, he begins to change me. Because of what Jesus did, we can, we can celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So I'd like to lead us in a real quick prayer, and then we'll take the elements together. Father, because Jesus took on my sin, my disgrace, and my shame, and he paid for it and nailed it to his tree, his cross, now we can celebrate this Lord's Supper together. I pray that we would come to you humbly examining ourselves, uh, both rejoicing and both very solemn. As we do celebrate, it is a celebration of the Lord's Supper. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said that the bread was his body that was broken for us. And so we take this in remembrance of him. Jesus took the cup and he said that this uh, was his blood and it was a new covenant. It was a new relationship, a new agreement. And we drank this in remembrance of him. When Paul was explaining the Lord's Supper, he, he left us with some really cool words at the end. He says for us to do this, us to take the bread, us to take the juice, in remembrance of him, then he, he gives three really cool words, till he comes. So as we take this Lord's Supper, I want to close by saying this. We're doing this, believing that he not only died on the cross paying for our sins, but that he rose again. And we do this until he comes back, and we look forward to that day.